Just in case our name Clit Talk wasn't a disclaimer enough, we wanted to let you know that this podcast is intended for a mature audience only. So if you have any little ones in the room, now is the time to maybe put some earmuffs on or escort them out. Today on Clit Talk, we will be discussing the magic that comes out of those darkest moments of your life and how to allow yourself to move this emotion through your body to find the light on the other side. Pussy, pussy, it's gonna be a good one today. Yes. I'm talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk, talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Come on, girls and boys and everyone on the gender rainbow, bring your pussies to the show. Welcome to Clit Talk. The Pleasure Positive Podcast, where badass women discuss everything from orgasms to gender harmony to the health benefits of masturbation, the sex ed you wish you got, and then some. This first season of Clit Talk is inspired by Regina Thomas Shower, creatrix of the School of Womanly Arts, leader of the Pleasure Revolution, and author of her New York Times bestselling book, Pussy, A Reclamation. So in Regina Thomas Shower's book, Pussy, there's an entire chapter dedicated to something she refers to as rupture, those darkest hours of life when we're brought to our knees by grief or shame or hopelessness. It's in those times that she says that we're asking for the current version of us to be shattered and reassembled into the humans we were born to become. What's been the absolute greatest rupture in your life? And what was the impact it had on your relationship with your pussy? I had a rupture a little while back and it was with my dad and it sent me into my deepest, darkest hole where I just simply don't want to be alive anymore. I wanted to leave the planet. Not that I had like a suicide plan necessarily, but it's been a conversation that I've had with myself quite often throughout the years when life seems to be getting really hard. And luckily I called a sister who has read this book and she reminded me that this is rupture. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This tremendous pain and anger and resentment that I was experiencing was a part of the breaking apart only to come back together and experience wholeness. And to be honest, I I still feel like I'm in that coming back together phase. I haven't made up with my dad yet, uh, but I did get to the source, to the originating moment when I was six years old and I wanted to leave the planet and I was able to heal that. And it's really like the best example I could give is like when you move into an apartment, but you don't really want to take the time to make it cute and make it your own because you don't, you feel like you're going to leave soon. You know, you're going to go and find another place. So you don't really take the time to invest. And for me, I'm like, wow, wait, no, I'm actually going to be on the planet. I got uh, at least, you know, 20, 40, 60 more years on me. So how do I want to spend my time here? Um, So that rupture has been really crucial in in grounding me into this life and onto this planet. And and I trust that I'll continue to heal this and, and become a fuller brighter, more radiant expression of myself. Wow, Lily. So two two things. I, I had no idea that you had thoughts like that. And it just goes to show you, I'm sure there's probably listeners that have had thoughts like that as well. So thank you for being so vulnerable. And are you willing to share like exactly what did happen with your dad? Yeah. You know, I think 
as an adult, anytime we go home, I know a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to this. It's fucking triggering as fuck. And it's personal growth 101, you know, for any of you who have begun your your journey of healing, you know that your relationships with your parents are crucial. That's the first place you want to start. Um it just has to happen. We have to eventually get to a place where we can forgive and accept our parents. So you just like got into like a bad fight yeah, with your dad. Yeah, it was basically. just like okay. all that shit of like, yeah. you know, being dominated and controlled my entire life of mm. his unconsciousness and his male patriarchy, higher than me, higher than thou. I, you know, I'm bigger, I'm smarter, I'm wiser. Listen to what I say. Got that it. just like all surfaced yeah. and... And this was a particular rupture for you. I remember you sharing about this because it was like the, the, you had just thought you had this permanent breakthrough where it was like the best trip ever. Daddy and Lolita doing it big, you know, maybe for the first time ever since before six years old. And so when the fight happened, him dropping you off to the airport, it was that, I mean, that's at least what I got when you were sharing about this with me. It was just like, it was the perfect trip. How could that final? How could it finalize in that argument? Yeah, it was super disappointing and it's all a part of it. It's all a part of it. And how do you see your your rupture with your father? Is there any connection to who you are being with your sexuality or who how you're being with men in the world that's impacted by that relationship and, and what went on with you too? There is a direct connection and correlation between what happened with my dad and my pussy. What I realized, what was brought to my attention just a few weeks ago is that I really shut down the lower half of my body. My sacral chakra, my root chakra have been just turned off. I don't know the moment that that happened, but I definitely feel feel as if it's connected in some way. My dad being a representation of masculine energy, of safety, of protection, those are all attributes that are associated with the root chakra. I also had a moment today where I called I, I called a man out and I told him that it was a real asshole move what he did. And it didn't take me long. Immediately five seconds after I sent that text message, I realized that it, I was projecting anger that I have not felt fully from my dad, which is also why I think we haven't been able to repair what happened a few months ago, just because there's anger that wants to be felt and that ain't going to go away until I feel it. The greatest rupture I ever experienced was about five years ago now. And I was a touring musician and I had met someone on the road and there's like the saying road dogs, right? And I was like, oh, that'll never happen to me. And I was so... What's road dog? A road dog is like someone who like is like a cheater, basically. So um, I was like so fucking naive and um, met this guy. We were friends for two years before anything happened. Then we got together, was with him for two years. Then I was like visiting him. And this was like, then we weren't on tour together anymore. I was visiting him in New York. I went through his phone because it was like shit was like real crazy and um, found out he was what I thought was quote unquote cheating on me. And then I later like dug deeper. I couldn't shake that there was something else going on. So I reached out to the other woman and I found out that like I was the other woman. 
Like this guy, it was like a total fucking dateline story. This guy had been with her for 11 years, was with me for two years, had like a secret apartment he would bring me to, and he lived with her. Like I met his mother, she met, like his mother knew both of us. Like it was crazy. And like the way that it like eventually went down is like when I finally got her on the phone, I knew I wasn't crazy. But after four years of knowing this man and had been with him intimately, all I got was a text saying, you went too far. I never loved you. Don't ever talk to me again. Where is this man? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to say his, I'm not going to say his name. Um, but I was like, fuck. Okay. And, and when I dug deeper into it, my family actually like in, when I was in a relationship with this man actually had an intervention with me and anyone who knows me, I am super tight with my family. They literally sat down and my dad was like, I'm afraid He's already mentally abusive to you. I'm afraid he's going to become physically abusive with you. And I was like, you guys are fucking crazy. My mom raised me to be a strong woman. I would never let a guy like that. I would never date a guy like that. And so I told my family to fuck off, basically, which is like anyone who knows me is like, what? You you said that like I was so mentally abused. I was so secluded. He he would tell me things that other people were saying about me that like weren't true. My self-esteem was like in the shitter and it took me like when it all went down like I went into such a dark depression like I was that that girl alone at a bar falling off a bench because she had too much whiskey and it took me therapy it took me um, doing something called like the landmark forum really like really doing a lot of transformational work to realize that it can fucking happen to anybody he was he was mentally abusive he was sexually abusive he would tell me um a lot of things like he made me so sexually insecure because he would be like oh you're you know your pussy's loose or you know you really shouldn't like act like that or just really fucked up things and and it the the biggest thing was like I got over him but the biggest thing was being able to forgive myself for having I thought I was such a strong person that I would never be in a relationship like that so it really took something for me to be able to forgive myself and then of course and you know, relationships beyond that, I had such fucking trust issues. Like I, I just, there's like all men cheat. There's no way I could ever fucking trust anyone. And I was doing a seminar, um, called the communication courses. And I realized like in that seminar, I realized that fuck trust is a choice. Like obviously not going to be with that psycho ever again. Like can't trust him. Like I literally like had to, I really truly believe he's a sociopath. Like the fucking shit he did. Like I had to stop relating to him. Like he was a normal person. And, um, but then I, in my future relationships, I had to really just take on that trust was like a choice. And I had to choose to trust my partners because they hadn't done anything to not deserve my trust. But I was just so like, fucked up and you know that plus therapy and like I eventually worked myself out of it but it still flares up for me like I still like have trust issues and then I have to like literally take a deep breath and be like nope that was an isolated psycho that's not in my life anymore what would you say some of the red flags were looking back now when you first started dating this guy yeah um he was very candid about his life he never talked about his home life at all, really. Like, I met his mom, but he never talked about friends at home or anything like that. He also, like, he had a nickname. I'm not going to say the nickname because it's similar to his name, but that should have been a red flag, that he was like this, and he had a reputation of being a womanizer, but I liked bad boys. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, I've tamed him. Like, Mm. I'm I'm the fucking ingenue that (laughs) fixed him. Don't fucking try to fix men like that. They're like, 
they have their own path, you know. Um, and he told me stories about how he had cheated on past people, but that he had changed. And like, he was, he's a fucking professional though, man. Like he roped me in. I didn't even know, I didn't even see it coming. Like, but there are, there's a, there's a great book that I read called The Sociopath Next Door. Cause I really do truly believe that he's like either a narcissist or a sociopath. And I do think it is important for women to, educate themselves on the there are specific like red flags to look yeah. for who hasn't dated a narcissist right yeah. Yeah. yeah i'm pretty sure i'm the narcissist <laughs> <laughs> yeah Sugar. but that book the, the sociopath next door um is a really good book because it does have it does i can't think straight right now but there are specific like red flags that you that kind of tip you off like a sociopath is basically someone that has like no empathy they literally do not feel empathy so if they do something like they don't they really truly don't feel bad about it mm-hmm I would like to share my rupture. I am 23 on the cusp of 24. And when I was 19, so about five years ago, I will describe it as I was low key kidnapped for 24 hours. Um, I went out alone and I, I was taken from a club uh, by two men over the age of 50. It was weird because they were, they really treated me well. I was so afraid of them, but they treated me very well. Like they, they took me back to my side of town and on the way back to my side of town, um, they took us to a really nice brunch restaurant. And I just remember sitting there like plotting my escape plan. Like I'm like, okay, we're at brunch. We're in public. Like I can fucking escape. And they got like mimosas and this lavish breakfast for us. It was so bizarre. And I just, I couldn't really quite find a way to get out of it. But then I, I, once we got back to the car, I said to them, you guys, I, I need to go home. I'm having an anxiety attack. And it was, I actually started to get um, like weird about it, like hyperventilating. I'm like, you guys, I, I need to go home. Like I, I started kind of shaking. I didn't, at that point it was, it was, it was happening. I wasn't forcing an anxiety attack. It was sort of happening to me. And I think they got a little weirded out and they just dropped me off. Um, you know, at my doorstep. I don't want to go into the details of like what happened with them, but yes, I was raped. And, um, and I just, I got home when they dropped me off. I got home and, um, I just, I called my dad. I was like, daddy, there's two bad men that know where I live. And I think I, I have abused my privileges for living in Miami <laughs> and I need, I need your help. And literally the next day my dad got on a plane picked me up and I was a wreck. I mean, I was like on Xanax, like passed out on the couch, like uh, save me, like sort of mentality. And he did, he, he picked me up, he got me packed up and we went home to where he was living in Palm Springs at the time. And how, uh, the irony is three weeks later, my girlfriend who, uh, came back to the house, uh, you know, who was living at that house with me, um, I was there alone for this period of time, but she came three weeks later and she said, oh my God, and sent me, I, she sent me a text with a photo of the room and the bed that I would have been living in and laying in. The ceiling above that bed collapsed all over the bed. I mean, a hole the size of Uranus, you know, it's just like collapsed on the bed. So I was so grateful that I wasn't there. I mean, I would have probably been severely injured if not died from that experience. So um, it all happened for the right reasons, but how what what happened to my pussy is I I completely shut shut it off and was just only a lesbian for that whole like I would only be with women you know and I, I really like this girl in Palm Springs and I was trying to 
be with her, but I'd not feel safe with men for a long time after that. And, um, and I, 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 it, it had me just live into my lesbian ways. How did they take you from the club? Like, did they, did, was it forceful or were they like, Hey, come to an after party? Exactly. With us? It was, it was like really casual and I was drinking already and I wanted the attention anyway. So I was cool with, uh, you know, these guys talking to me. I didn't really have a problem with it. But they were very, yeah, we have, oh, we got this next place we're going to. And um, I don't know if something ended up, I don't really remember why I would have left with them. Like now I'm, I look, I'm like, why would I have ever left? In fact, why would I have ever been in a fucking club by myself, right? That's a whole other conversation. But what led to this rupture, it wasn't just overnight, you know, it was things led up to this where I made that choice to go out alone that night. Um, but I, I, I think that, um, something was put in my drink and they were like charming. And so I ended up, it wasn't forceful. It wasn't obvious. It's not like anyone could see me being kidnapped. Um, and I, I don't like saying that word, but I was, it was taken and I wasn't, I wasn't able to go back to my home. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know where the fuck I fucking was, you know? And I was like, it was like a four, like they took me to breakfast. Like I didn't know when I was getting returned, you know? And also, like, surrounding yourself with, like, I think why my rupture really happened was because I didn't have a solid female crew around me or an empowering community around me. I was in a place where it was normal to go out and do cocaine at a club in downtown Miami because, like, all my girls were living, like, went home for the summer. And I chose not to, you know. And that bad girl side of me, like, got to really, like, live itself out. And had I been with women and sisters, that shit would have never happened. Right. I think so, too. When Sugar first told me this story, I just kept thinking about her little 18-year-old face. And to be so alone in that moment. Nobody around. And, you know, just probably terrified. So I really encourage mothers that have, you know, young daughters or daughters that are about to go to college to have these kind of conversations, which is, this is the kind of stuff, not to so much put fear in them, but this is the kind of stuff that can happen if you're not always with at least one other girl. Always be with one other girl that has your back and knows when you're in trouble so they can stand up for you. So, but you know what, Sugar, you turned out real good. Oh, thanks, Tamiko. So, if rupture is a way of us being broken open to being forced by harrowing circumstance into a journey of self-discovery, what's the prize? What wisdom did you get to walk away with coming out of those darkest times of your life? So my rupture was a year and a half of physical injuries. It started with a stress fracture in my foot to a disc herniation to a kidney stone to a concussion. And it was all on my left side. And um, I got to a point when I hurt my back where I couldn't work for six months. Like I work as a nurse. I work as an actress on set, a medical consultant on set. I couldn't drive. So therefore I couldn't work. So um the best thing that came out of all of this was I was a competitive elite gymnast for 12 years. So I would just always push myself. And I really learned to listen to my body and heal my body in a way that I can do daily practices to really be in touch with what's going on and actually listen and not like push it too hard. 
Another thing that happened out of this is an incredible relationship with my husband. I was kind of like the driving force before and um, kind of took allowed myself to take ev- all the responsibility on. And when I couldn't do everything, he totally stepped up in a way that I never imagined that he would. And so our marriage is just like now on a totally another scale where I know that he's got me in a way that like I didn't know that he did before. And the other really great thing that came out of it was I discovered like a new like gift. Um, I was in bed for six months and I had all these uh, creative ideas um, to write. And I had friends come over and write with me. And now I have a writing career and I have a show in development. And this was like within eight months. Like as soon as I started to get better, someone wanted to rep me. And this was totally unforeseen of something that I would ever be doing. There's something you're really moved by right now. Like you're almost in tears. Like what, what, is, what is it that has you so moved right now? It was so beautiful to experience actually slowing down mm-hmm. and being really intentional about what I could do when I couldn't actually do all the things that I'm used to normally doing. My leg was numb. I had a torn and herniated disc. It was like I couldn't sit for 14 weeks. It was like nothing like that had ever happened to me before. I would broken toes and had like, you know, little things with the beam and stuff when I was little, but never, it, never like this consecutive nature. It was literally, literally a year and a half. I'd get better and then I another injury would just hit. And um, it was just, I just really felt like there was this overpowering force of just telling me to slow down and no one was going to be able to have me do, like I wasn't going to slow down unless I actually had to. And that's what happened. And the frustrating part of that experience, I'm sure, and I've had like injuries as well. It's like, you don't know when it's going to end. You don't Mm -hmm. know when you're going to get better. You don't know. Like, so you have to make the best of the moment when you're there as long as you can. And so I think it makes a big difference uh, that you actually came out on the other side in a really positive way. Yeah. And the really interesting thing, it, it was they were all on my left side, which is your feminine side, the mother creation. And that was a part of me that I wasn't embracing. So how this impacted my pussy was I discovered this crew and this this project, Clit Talk. And um, it was something that I could do while I was injured. I actually did our first recording when I had my concussion, and that was my last injury. So I really think embracing my femininity wasn't something that I knew how to do before. It wasn't ever anything that was encouraged for me to do. And this book and this group of women and just continuing to have these conversations has healed me in a way and allowed my creative expression to just really explode in a way that I didn't even know was possible. Yeah, so good. I have to say my greatest uh, rupture, and it'll probably be my hope in some ways, probably my only greatest rupture. I'm hoping if my kids, you know, if if my kids outlive me, then it will be. But the loss of my mom Mm -hmm. is by far, out of all the different things you go through in life, I don't know. There's really something so, so deep. Um, 
And it was so hard because it was 16 months of an illness and I was there pretty much 95% of the time. And I did have two small kids at the time and had my panic attacks and, you know, all the things you have to do. Looked into every kind of alternative therapy, took her to the best doctors, you know, ambulance come when it's too, it seems like it's too late and she needs to get some help breathing. Hospice comes in, back to the hospital. It's really like a mini war, you know? So just the last thing that, the last uh, couple of things my mom said to me, she would wake up like in the middle of the night at three o'clock out of like a morphine-induced coma from the pain. So once in a while, she'd wake up for maybe 45 minutes or 40 minutes. She could hardly talk. But on three separate nights, she did this, and I asked my brother and my father to come. And on the last night, of course, she always said to, for me and my brother to always stay together. And, you know, we're Buddhists, so my mom said, you know, keep chanting. But the third night that she woke up, the last two things she said to me was, never be afraid and don't give up. And at the time, you know, I took it in. Of course, you take it in because it's very succinct and, you know, it's something that your mother's telling you and you realize it's the last words. But I was in such a hellish state of depression for about nine months that I could barely get my pajamas on off. I was like constantly in pajamas. And there was this one time that my, I would sit in front of my altar, but I couldn't chant the words. I just would look at my altar. And and my youngest daughter came to me. She was probably like nine or 10. And, you know, sometimes when I'm chanting at night, my daughters will come and put their head on my lap, you know, because it's peaceful and quiet and the lighting and the sound and they felt relaxed. So my little one came, put her head on my lap, and then she proceeded to cry hysterically for what was probably about 25 minutes. You know, it felt longer, but in reality, it was probably 25 minutes and kind of woke me up. Like, you know, yes, I'm in a state of hell. Yes, I'm in a state of rupture. But I also have a reason that I have to find to pull myself out of this. That became apparent. And so what I did is I read a lot of books. I read books on how people die, the actual physical act, what happens to your body. I read a book about women that lost, lose, lost their mothers from age five to like 85 or 90. And their experiences in this book are so relatable. It doesn't even matter the different age range, you know, because you really feel like you, you, you know, you are uh, all an orphan. When your mom dies, me and my mom would sometimes talk three hours on the phone and it's three o'clock in the morning and she'd say, Ada, look what time it is. I'm like, I know. Can you believe it? So we had that kind of real, real closeness. And I really relied on her, on her counsel. And she relied on me on my strength. And we had a beautiful relationship. So when she passed and I had the rupture and I read all these books and I saw my daughter, finally, I got to the place of recognizing that life is suffering and that the importance of death is so that we can really cherish our daily lives. And when you really lose something so important to your life, the end of the nine months, I had another five months after that of total elation. Every time I went outside, every time I saw the sky, every time I saw a butterfly, every time I saw my kids smile, I was in a state of high that's turned on. But my mother taught me through her passing that that's what's possible. 
when you really understand the suffering of life and death and you're grateful for the every breath that you take and the memories that you have. So that rupture, I tell you, there's not probably going to be anything like it. And it's because of my mom. She gave it to me. And, you know, I love her so much for that, too. There was a, a time I was living in San Francisco. And for anyone who's lived there, you know that there are certain parts of town that are overcast for many days at a time. And so I was living in a place where um, it was overcast for 14 days straight. Um, and I was also um, dealing with my dad was was in a state of, he, w- he was dying. And uh, he was he was living in Virginia at the time. And so it was overcast a lot. I was traveling back and forth from California to, to DC, visiting him in the hospital. And this whole time I was living with this boyfriend who was obsessed with sex and was obsessed with pornography. And every time I came home from work or showed up, he immediately was all over me and wanted to have sex with me. And I was going through a really unsexy time of my life. Um, and I didn't even realize like I was it was like I was in a daze or something but I had started to think about killing myself and I had started to think how I would do it and I remember thinking like it would probably be best to to go out like with a drug like heroin or something like that where it's like a beautiful you know dreamy goodbye and I was starting to really like fantasize about like how I would get it. And um, I was, like I said, in a daze. And I remember my friend uh, called me from uh, Los Angeles. She called me and, and she, she really got up under, under the how are yous and the I'm fine, you know, just dealing with like my dad's stuff and how's your boyfriend? Uh, it's not going so great. She really got up under it and was like, what's going on with you right now? Like, what's actually happening? How are you really? And I just finally told her, I was like, this is what I'm thinking about. And she's like, I'm coming up there right away. And she came up to San Francisco and she took me on a road trip on the coast down to Big Sur. And it was, you know, like a gray, wet time of year. And we went to the ocean and we saw this beautiful rock like jutting up out of the ocean and I just realized like I woke up out of it and I I realized like how could I how could I think about leaving like why like leaving the planet when I could have just left my lease I could have broken up with that boyfriend I could have gotten help I could have gotten a therapist and I was just in a daze and and I, I wasn't even planning on sharing anything from my own life today, actually. And I just, I really realized I wanted to share this for, for any people out there that are listening to this, that are considering not being around anymore, you know, and I think it crosses all of our minds at different times in a cursory way. But for anyone out there who's really actually thinking about it, I just want to let you know that it gets so much better and that asking for help, reaching out, just telling the people in your life what you're really going through, 
I'm just so glad I did. And um, so anyway, I just really wanted to to share that for, for you. So the tragic upsets in life are really concealing gifts on our soul's journey. And as Regina states so beautifully in her book, Feeling deeply is critical for both a woman's personal evolution and for the evolution of the world. When the feminine in a culture is repressed, the consequences are tragic. We end up with violence in schools, mass shootings, a mercenary corporate culture, and an environment on the brink of collapse. We are passing the responsibility for feeling our pain down to our children and grandchildren, who will have to live with the consequences of our unwillingness to do so. I just want to put something in that um, we've talked about like our ruptures today and like what the biggest takeaway from this chapter is how important it is to talk about it and share it and experience it that actually doing that is part of the healing and what's out on the other side is so much light but that the actual process of rupture is so human and so important to actually allow yourself to go through. So thank you everyone for sharing today. I think it would make a big difference for everyone who's listening. Now, we would like to share an exercise with you that is written into the book, Pussy, a Reclamation, called Swamping. In the book, Mama Gina invites us to find a garbage bag, and we invite you to do the same. Go into the kitchen, under the cupboard, wherever you keep them, Find a garbage bag and poke three holes, one for your head and two for your arms. And go ahead and put it on. Put that garbage bag on. And what this symbolizes is a place for you to release your emotions. We are asking that your emotions are allowed to surface, are able to surface, to be expressed and experienced by you. Swamping is a process of letting go, of feeling. And in feeling these emotions, you are healing. So you're going to need a song. And the song is up to you. You know what you need. Do you need a headbanging song? Do you need a slow song about heartache? Do you need a song with a lot of drumming so you can stomp and let it all out? Go ahead and choose the song. And for the duration of the song, let it all out. If you need to scream, cry, headbang, stomp your feet, flail your arms, roll on the floor, shimmy and shake. Whatever it is, let it out. This is one of those dance-like-nobody's-watching moments. And when you're finished, go ahead and take the garbage bag off. And walk outside and put it in the garbage can. And may that symbolize 
the healing and the releasing of the emotions that are no longer serving you. Did you just love this episode of Clit Talk? Well, shit, then you better head on over to iTunes and subscribe, but only if you want amazing orgasms. Also, while you're over there, please rate us and leave a review. But again, only if you're open to incredible sex and amazing relationships. And if you email us a screenshot of your review to clittalkcontest at gmail.com, you will be automatically entered to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We can't wait to give you some free shit.